Hello. Hi there. Welcome. Welcome back. To the next episode of the Brio in the Box podcast. Today on the table, we got the Brio Plus uh, whey protein powder in salted caramel. I put it up there because I just made a batch of lunchbox friendly cookies for the kids uh, with the protein powder in there. So a little bit of blended oats, grass-fed butter, eggs, protein powder, and a little bit of monk fruit, which is like a non-caloric sweetener. So decently healthy, but some little treats for the kids. I like to add protein to those kinds of things so that it increases the satiety so that they just, you know, protein makes you feel full. So then you just don't want to eat like tons and tons and tons and tons. And it has that little touch of natural sweetness in there with the salted caramel flavor. So it makes them taste good, Yeah, but not, uh, I'm usually not a a fan of like healthy ish baked goods, but these ones are actually very tasty. Yeah. I try to, I try my best. That's good. I'm also not a fan of like sad diet versions of things. So I always try to make things taste good. We actually had a nice, uh, testimonial from, um, a guy that had ordered some of our protein powder and said, this is the first one I've ever been able to eat that doesn't upset my stomach. So it has a little digestive enzyme blend in there. If you have any sensitivity to like dairy, um, sugars or proteins, um, yeah, apparently some people with previous sensitivities to whey protein powders found this one manageable. So that was kind of the idea of why we developed our own in the first place was I am just uh, enough of a control freak. (laughs) I wanted to know exactly what was in it and where it was made Mm -hmm. and the quality to which it was manufactured. So that was nice to hear. That's good. So speaking of food quality, manufacturing, Mm. all those kinds of things today, we're going to talk about food marketing scams. Yep. The process food (laughs) scam alert so that you guys can be the savvy consumer so that all of these little tricks that the food marketing companies are trying to come up with, you guys are not going to fall for them. Mm-hmm. Not you. You're smarter than that. Um, where this comes from, a little bit. I have a, my previous life, I have a Bachelor of Commerce and an MBA, and I double majored in finance and marketing management, which is like, how do you sell things and make money? And a huge part of that education, in marketing especially, is dedicated to food marketing because mm-hmm. there's so many purchase decisions that go into buying food, multiple times a day even. Right. More than almost anything else that you buy, you buy food the most often. What do you buy a mattress? Like every 10 years, maybe you buy a car, you know, not that often, but food purchase decisions are frequent and they're highly influenceable because the, what you want to eat and appetite and satiety is coming from like some deeper levels of the brain. So there's definitely some ways that the food scientists and the food marketers are trying to leverage those, um, deep seated needs in your brain to try to influence what happens. Right. Um, there is in the textbooks, they call it the problem of the fixed stomach. So it's an issue for a, a, a corporation that sells food is that there are only so many people, the population only grows so fast, like basically a predictable amount, and people only eat so much. And so to increase profitability as a food company, it's actually quite difficult because you're dealing with a fixed, fixed growth rate, fixed market, that kind of thing. So they only have two ways to increase profitability. They need to get you to eat more, or they need to use cheaper input. So they to, you know, increase revenue. They have to try to override your natural appetite mechanisms or satiety mechanisms, or they have to reduce expenses by using cheaper shit. And so all of these food marketing tactics are one or both of those things. And they have been very successful in the last 20 (laughs) or 30 years at doing those two things. You look at everybody's waistlines and you would go, well, they're doing pretty good at getting people to increase consumption. And now we're seeing more and more they're going after lower quality inputs. Yeah. And even to the point that they're trying to demonize and make the more expensive, higher quality inputs seem like bad things. So 
as you're going grocery shopping, do, do, do a little shopping cart around the grocery store. These are the red flags you're going to look for. And you're going to go, not today, General Mills. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is uh, high fiber. 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 Everybody needs fiber, right? Oh, the food marketing companies know that fiber is a mm-hmm. positive, gets a positive response in consumer yeah. associations. Um, so there's lots of things that have fiber added to them. Now, in the nutritional research, definitely from an epidemiological perspective, people that eat more fiber tend to have better health outcomes. That's for sure. Um, but what, what does that mean? Epidemiology only tells you about associations, correlations, not causation. When we dig deeper and we start to do some RCTs, randomized control trials, we see that what fiber actually is, is just a proxy for how processed the food is. Right. Cause one of the first things we do with food processing is take out, you know, the peel, the fiber, you know, things get refined down from like a whole grain into just the powdered starch kind of thing. Um, and it's actually just processed food that's quite damaging and it's whole foods that are healthier for you or less detrimental. And so fiber is just a proxy for how whole or processed the food is. But if you take a processed food and you just add fiber to it, it, it doesn't do anything. It right. doesn't make it better. So if you have a, a crappy processed food and they've just added psyllium husk or oat bran or whatever, it's not doing anything to make that a healthier food. Right. If you just eat whole foods, fruits and vegetables, that kind of thing, you're getting fiber, which is fine. But taking a crappy food and adding fiber to it doesn't make it a health food. Right. So the sum of its parts are not equal to the full product. Yeah. And I mean, we could geek out on like the biochemistry of how that happens at different points in the stomach and the hormones triggered and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's just that if you see high fiber on a box of like cereal sitting on the shelf, you can almost guess that that's like, that's just a processed food. Right. With some fiber added to it or like protein bars or things like that. that yeah. They're high fiber, um, like the fiber one. They're mm-hmm. like chocolate dipped, basically candy bars, but yeah. they have a bunch of fiber in them. You're like, that's not a health food. Yeah. And even with the uh, things like protein bars, they'll do the same thing with protein, right? They'll just, they'll add protein to garbage and, mm-hmm. and act like it's a healthy food, right? I remember the protein high or the high protein Snickers bar, <laughs> like Endure or something Snickers like that. Snickers marathon. Snickers marathon, there yeah. it is. And it's like, well, it's just a candy bar that you've put some whey protein or some soy protein or whatever kind of protein in there. Yeah, and it's it's often the the cheapest, lowest quality. So usually right. soy protein isolate, or the one you also need to watch out for quite a bit is uh, concentrated wheat gluten. Right. The example I always use there of the protein trickery is those Kodiak cakes. They mm-hmm. sell it at Costco. It's like a pancake mix, waffle mix, whatever, and it says high protein on the box. And you flip the box over and you see like the second ingredient is wheat gluten. Right. Which is gluten is the protein from wheat. So they can, they take the wheat gluten out probably from all the gluten-free products yeah. <laughs> that are one aisle over and they concentrate them and they throw them into this other thing and they can call it high protein because technically gluten's a protein. Um, but that's not the protein that you want. Like almost no one on earth is going to thrive with right. excess concentrated gluten. There's certainly people with celiac disease where they can have none. There's non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which is like, you're not full on celiac, but it still doesn't sit well with you. Um, But for everybody, gluten or gliadin, which is one of the breakdown products of gluten, triggers the production of an endogenous protein called zonulin. Zonulin loosens the tight junctions between the epithelial cells that line your, your intestines. You can think of, you are basically a hollow tube 
So anything that's inside the gut is actually outside of you, which is kind of a weird concept. That's such a weird. It's always like, <laughs> close your mind. You can think of it a bit like, like the channel train that goes from like um, England to France under the ocean. So it's like, if you're in the tunnel, in the, in the train, are you in the ocean? No. No, but yes, the tunnel is in the ocean, but right. you are separate from the ocean. So that's kind of how your gut works. And there needs to be this, this integrity of the barrier between the tunnel and the ocean. Right. And so gluten, gliadin, triggers the production of zonulin. Zonulin would like come along and start to make cracks in the tunnel. So things start to leak through that shouldn't. And then you can end up with partially digested proteins, little peptides, bacteria, all kinds of stuff can make it into your bloodstream that shouldn't. And then it triggers an immune response because your immune system goes, hey, there's some shit in here that should not be. Right. And then you can end up with widespread um, inflammation, like overactive immune responses. So like autoimmune conditions, it can trigger like lupus and thyroid conditions and rheumatoid arthritis and all kinds of crazy stuff. So um, yes, long story short, you're a channel. <laughs> you are the channel train. Everything that's inside your gut is outside of you. That's so weird. What a weird way to think about it. Yeah. You're just basically a hollow tube. From, just a straw. <laughs> you are a straw basically. Yeah. Um, so watch out for, if it says high protein on the front, you're going to be skeptical and you're going to mm -hmm. flip it over. And if it says vital wheat gluten, wheat gluten, or sometimes it's called seitan, S-E-I-T-A-N. That's all just concentrated gluten. You don't want right. to eat that shit. You want protein from like actual protein sources. Yeah, and even like, like lower quality, like soy protein or pea protein isolate. Yeah. That's just another way for them to sell you cheap processed stuff at a marked up price. Right. So so another one where cost comes into play a lot is it's everywhere. Grocery stores have their whole section dedicated to it organic, mm -hmm. the big old organic section. And people always like the, you know, health conscious people will go rooting around in there trying to find all these organic treats. Yeah. So that's a, a marketing buzzword that has a positive association. It has been for a long time. Quite a while, like right? I remember living in Calgary, there was full organic grocery stores, right? Yeah. My favorite thing that we ever saw, um, was like anti, what is it? Anti Emma's or something. Anti Annie's. Anti Annie's organic macaroni and cheese it <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like okay what like yeah i don't think the problem with macaroni and cheese was the pesticides on yeah. the wheat that was used to make the macaroni i don't think that's the problem mm -hmm. with the macaroni and cheese so. or people will bake a cake that comes from an, a box that says organic on it organic cake be, mix organic <laughs> cake mix and they'll be it's okay it's organic it's like well no it's still cake it's Just because it was made without pesticides doesn't make it any less of a dessert. <laughs> you don't get to eat the whole thing because it's organic. Yeah. So with organics, there's certain, uh, there's certain products that you need to worry about. And then there's others where it doesn't make any difference at all. Mm -hmm. Basically, if it's uh, the, the product that you're eating is open to the environment, it's at a higher risk of being contaminated with like microplastics or pesticides or whatever. Mm -hmm. So things like um, lettuce or spinach or tomatoes or whatever, where they're growing in the environments um, and then you're going to directly eat them. Those are the things that would probably be worth getting organic if you, mm -hmm. if you wanted to. Things like bananas or avocados that already have a built-in protection are way lower risk. And so if you want to do organic, you could, but it's probably unnecessary. Because mm -hmm. it's more expensive, yeah. right? So where are you going to delegate your budget to? Yeah, and that's things like produce. But then as far as like packaged goods, if it's refined and processed, it doesn't matter if it's organic or not. It's still refined mm -hmm. and processed. You yeah. know, it doesn't matter if it's organic mac and cheese or just good old craft dinner. <laughs> yeah. If I'm going to eat it, I'm going to have extra creamy craft dinner. I don't, <laughs> I don't mess around with the like cauliflower version or the yeah. organic whatever you're just eating junk food just own it just own it just own it. it yeah 
Uh, fun fact, David's like birthday dinner, favorite meal is hot dogs and craft dinner. <laughs> <laughs> one of, one of. One of, that's one yeah. of his, uh, one of his things. It's, I'm a, I'm a gourmet kind of person. What you know what? I we say? eat well the rest of the time. It's funny. That's sort of like the off the wagon <laughs> treat is like the worst of the worst. Actually, yeah. it's sort of the opposite well, the way we normally eat. It is funny because we, you know, we eat steak and we eat whatever through the week. So most of the time when people go out for a dinner at a restaurant, they don't have that stuff very often. And so they'll order themselves a nice steak or whatever, whereas we eat that stuff all the time. And so when we want to like have a cheat day or like go out to a restaurant, we're like, mm, sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so speaking of like processed food that's like labeled deceptively, the one that always gets my like spidey senses is keto things that say keto on them yeah. and the popularity of the ketogenic diet the last few years there's definitely the food marketers are hopping on that bandwagon um i posted about one the other day that i found at costco it was a like a wrap like a tortilla thing that said keto on the package so obviously normally a wrap or a bread is going to be a carbohydrate food so you're like well what are they doing here and i flip it over and again it's just a it's a pancake of wheat gluten and vegetable oils which yeah. is protein and fat technically so they can call it keto cuz it's like low carb um but yeah you don't want to eat that it's just a pancake of gluten and vegetable oil yeah. but you know people will say like oh it's keto therefore it's good it's not like just because something has low carbohydrate content doesn't automatically make it a good choice right and then people will eat stuff like that and then go, mm, keto didn't work for me. Yeah. Like, well, no shit. You just <laughs> ate processed junk. Yeah. The three worst things you can eat are flour, sugar, and vegetable oil. Right. And so that's just a remix of the same crappy ingredients where they just took the gluten out of the flour and vegetable oil, basically. Yeah. So, um, yeah, be suspicious of the keto, like, labeled processed foods. Keto is done best with things that don't come in a box, don't come in a package, don't have a label. Yeah. You know, it's just real food. Yeah, it's vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar. Hey, that's uh, sounds familiar. That's the CrossFit <laughs> prescription for food. Yeah. So processed food, keto or not, it's still processed food. It's You're still better off food. having actual food. See real food. Yeah. Yeah. Often with the, the low carb stuff comes, you know, sugar free or low sugar or like no sugar added, which is another slippery one. Mm -hmm. um, they'll, they'll market something like a juice as no sugar added. It's like, well, yeah, like you didn't add any table sugar to it, but it's still 100% sugar, you know, mm -hmm. like it's fruit sugar, so it's sugar. Yeah. Um, or they'll do like a sugar-free candy or something. And often you'll get the same level of insulin response from one of the artificial sweeteners, as you will, from regular sugar. Mm -hmm. But then your body just doesn't know what to do with itself because it's like it's being stimulated by the sweetness. Tasting sweet, yeah. But then there's no actual like food process, so you end up like getting hungry and mm -hmm. that lingers and then you end up eating more bad stuff because of the the cravings. Yeah. People that drink diet soda consume more calories overall than people that consume like regular soda. Yeah. Not that I'm advocating drinking regular soda, but yeah, like you said, it just sort of dysregulates your appetite mechanisms because mm. your body's like, I taste sweet, but no sugar is coming in. Like what's yeah. going on here? And then some of the artificial sweeteners like aspartame are particularly hard on the gut microbiome and the liver too. So, right. um, I, you know, often look for like strawberry jam can be super sugary and you'll see these ones that are like sugar free and you're like, oh great, like no added sugar or whatever. And then you look and you're like, oh, it's just, you know, they've added aspartame or Splenda or some artificial sweet. And you're like, mm, that also wasn't what I yeah. was after. I just wanted one that's made of fruit yeah. without a bunch of excess sweetener added. Yeah. Or then they'll, you know, sometimes the marketing claims will be like made with cane sugar. <laughs> 
And you're like, yeah, that's just sugar. That's what sugar comes from. It's yeah. grown from sugar cane or sugar beets. That's it. Like sugar, you still can call sugar. It natural cane sugar. Yeah. Still sugar. Yeah. It's the same thing. You just added fancy words in front of it. You know? it's like, so when somebody will go to like McDonald's or something and order, you know, whatever they normally eat and then get a diet Coke, it's like, okay, you're saving the calories of the Coke by getting diet. But that like savory food will be less satiating because of the sweetness of the drink. And mm-hmm. so even if you're doing a diet Coke, you're still going to eat all of the fries and all of the whatever that you ordered and and potentially not even feel super full from it. There's yeah. something about eating sweet and salty together where they sort of cancel each other out and you never get sick of it and you can just go to town, mm-hmm. you know? You can only eat so much salty stuff in a row before you get sick of it. You can only eat so much sweet stuff, but if you mix those two together, it's another level. Yeah, that's something I talked about in my Lean for Life, my weight loss seminar that I did last year as something to watch out for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that like French chefs know. That's why they do a palate cleanser. So if you're eating a bunch of like very rich, heavy sauces and meats and things and pâtés at a beautiful French restaurant, they'll do a little mini course of like sorbet often. So you go from like warm, savory, fatty to like cold, sweet, creamy. Um, and it, it's called palate fatigue mm-hmm. when you get to that point where you just can't eat anymore. And then you cleanse the palate and then all of a sudden you can eat more. Yeah. It's something that French chefs know and also competitive eaters. If you ever watch the show man versus food, there's an episode that's such a great example of this. So he's doing an ice cream challenge somewhere. It's this big mountain Massive. of ice cream. And he gets to the point where he's like, can't like even swallow one more spoonful of ice cream. He's like gagging and like, Whoa. and so he orders a, an order of fries and he eats the fries. So he went from cold, creamy, sweet to hot, crunchy, salty, eats a bunch of the fries and then goes back and can just power through the ice cream. So yep. it's like he was so physically repulsed at the, at being, at eating any more ice cream, but then he ate more food and it allowed him to eat more food. And he went ahead and finished the ice cream challenge. So yep. it's like the opposite of what you would think at first. You're like, how does more food increase your appetite or get you to eat more? You're like it totally does. So yeah, be careful of those. Yep. Even if it's sugar-free or diet or whatever, that it's probably dysregulating your appetite. Yeah. This next one has been real big in the last little while, and you're going to try not to, to rant too oh, much about it. Oh, I'm about to it. get triggered. <laughs> but this one's a hot button for, for <laughs> us. Uh, meat substitutes. Ugh. So we're talking like Beyond Burgers and Impossible, Impossible Beef, whatever yeah. stuff. Okay. So if there's like one thing I would hope I could save everybody from, it's like, don't fall for that shit. Yeah. Cause that is, this is the ultimate win for a processed food company. If they can sell you a pile of cheap garbage for a, a premium price. So what are the ingredients on these things? It's like pea or soy protein isolate. It's a bunch of vegetable oils. They have to put a bunch of emulsifiers and fillers and flavorings to make it even remotely palatable. That stuff tastes awful without any of this other garbage in it. Mm-hmm. So they basically have just made like a pile of like, compost like human pet food but then all of the marketing dazzling that goes around it they make it seem like it's morally superior and it's environmentally superior and it's nutritionally yeah. superior and so then it costs more than the real food which would just be like a beef burger or something yeah. so that's like the ultimate win so where i was saying at the start where um not only are they trying to like get you to eat more and make stuff out of cheaper inputs they're also demonizing the real food right there's a big push yeah. against red meat and eating real food so that they can elevate this artificial process product to this premium level and charge you even more for it. So 
you guys are way too smart to fall for that. Yeah. You're not going to, not only is it horrible for the environment, horrible for your own health, um, but it's also definitely not worth the premium price. Yeah. And factory farming in itself is terrible. And a lot of people want to get away from that. But the answer is not substituting meat with beyond beef or impossible. With monocrop agriculture, that's not better. You want to support regenerative farms, right? They're the ones that are doing it the way nature intended, where Mm -hmm. they're rotating the animals and, you know, everybody's, everything's eating its natural diet like it's supposed to. There's way more care and concern put into the animals. So... You know, if you're going to spend more money on meat products, that's the way to do it. Support your local farmer. We're lucky we live where we do. Like you don't have to go very far outside of the city to find um, cool farmers doing like regenerative agriculture. It's better. It's like an ecosystem based thing. Better for the environment, better for the animals, better quality food that you get from it. And if you can, you know, buy a whole cow or get your chickens directly from the farmers, you just cut out that middleman. You cut out the factory farming, the processing and everything. And then you know, you can feel good about maybe even paying a little bit more because you're supporting the farmer directly to do good things. And then it's local. Yeah. Comes from nearby. It's more seasonal, like all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Make friends with the farmer. There you go. Support your so local farmer. one of the main f- ways they try to market that type of stuff is they say it's, oh, it's, it's better for your heart because of like the saturated fat bullshit stuff. Uh, and, and that brings us to the heart healthy mm-hmm. sticker that you'll see on all kinds of products. So what, what's up with the heart healthy thing? So the actual like logo is from the American Heart Association. They, the American Heart Association people need to understand is a, is a private entity and they sell that stamp of approval. The American Heart Association is funded by the processed food industry. Right. So the processed food industry would like to sell you cheap shit at a premium price. And so they can sell it at a premium price if they make it seem healthier. Mm-hmm. So then they pay the American Heart Association for the ability to put that little stamp on like honey nut Cheerios. Yeah. And just like human pet food pellets like covered in sugar, <laughs> you know, and yet here comes the American Heart Association like yeah. to put their stamp of approval on it. So Almost anything that has that little AHA logo on it, you can just like ignore. Yeah. Basically, because they're, you're going to find it in the center aisles, right? It's the crackers, it's the cereal, it's all the processed shelf stable stuff that's like not real food. Yeah. And it sounds like such an official thing, like, oh, the American Heart Association, it must be, you know, worth listening to, but it's like they're just a a business like anything else. Yeah. It's not a professional organization. It's not like an organization of cardiologists, like doctors and their professional organization. It's, it's nothing like that. It's a, it's a private entity that sells that mark to the processed food companies and they take all of their, their funding from the processed food industry. That's actually how it got started was with a $2 million endowment from I want to say Kellogg's, but don't quote me on that. But it was, mm. that's how it got started. One of the cereal brands. One probably. of the cereal brands. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Be, sus- be suspicious. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you know, speaking of pet food pellets, <laughs> one of the other ones you'll see if you're looking for eggs, sometimes they'll say vegetarian fed. Yeah. It's hilarious because chickens, hens are not vegetarians. Yeah. <laughs> it's like feeding your dog a vegetarian diet. Like they're not meant to, to eat that way. Yeah. Um, in its natural state, the chicken will forage around and they will eat insects. They will eat little frogs if they can catch them, even little mice. They are omnivores. They're meant to eat whatever they can find. So back to the regenerative farming, the cows will go through the field and then the chickens will follow afterwards and they'll kind of pick through the, the dung and find all the bugs and you know any little creatures they can find, they'll eat. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have some like seeds or berries or something like that, but they're not looking for vegetarian 
grains mm-hmm. or corn or whatever it is that the the you know yeah. industrial farming is is using. Vegetarian fed, especially in the U.S., almost definitely just means corn fed. Yeah. Corn is subsidized heavily in the U.S., so it's super cheap, and they just try to shove it everywhere that they can because they make way too much of it. Yeah. Um, but then, again, so it's like a cheap input, but they're trying to elevate it with, like, fancy marketing to make you feel like it's somehow better. Yeah. And it's going to be nutritionally inferior. Yeah. Higher in omega-6, lower in just general nutrients. Good quality eggs have a deep orange, almost reddish-colored yolk, and that's basically how you can judge the quality of an egg is the, the deep, rich color of the yolk. Our favorite ones are just from the co-op and they're co-op free run eggs. Mm-hmm. They're mostly produced in Western Canada. And uh, yeah, you can even like crack one regular egg and then one of these co-op free run eggs next to it. And it's like bland yellow versus like deep orange. Yeah. And it's kind of seasonal too. Yeah. We'll find that like through the winter, the colder months, the eggs will be a little bit more yellow than orange, but then in the summertime and spring, they tend to be mm-hmm. more orange. So yeah, you can tell they're, they're varying their diet a little bit as it goes. But yeah, which is good. Seasonal yeah. variation. That's what you would want. Yeah. Um, next one, something you learned yeah. from your experience in the restaurant industry was like different quality of produce in particular. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that our restaurant would do if somebody really liked a dish, we would say, well, if you want, like we'll give you the recipe. And we did that knowing that they would never be able to mimic what we did at home. Um, obviously there's, you know, some level of skill to the chef, but especially in like a fine dining restaurant, the main component that you just don't have access to is the quality of ingredients. So the way it works in the food industry is the people that are willing to pay the most will get the best products. And so fine dining restaurants charge the most amount of money and they're willing to pay for really, really good premium products. And so they will get first choice on what they get. And then regular restaurants after that will often, you know, get a a good selection of stuff and then from there it's sort of based on like the quality of food itself so if you have a really nice looking head of lettuce you can like throw a bag on that and put in the grocery store and people will go for it if it's been like kind of eaten away a little bit by insects or maybe part of it's kind of wilted or something like that you're not going to sell that as easily in a grocery store so instead of just throwing the whole thing away what they'll do is they'll cut off the bad areas leaving part part of a, a head of lettuce so they'll you know, cut it all up into little chunks, mix in some other produce that didn't look as great as well. And now you've got bagged salad. So they're charging more money for bagged salad, pre-made bagged salads, than you are just buying your own ingredients and making it yourself. Uh, But they're selling it for a higher cost. Mm -hmm. So it's poor quality stuff at a increased price. It's a win-win for them. Yeah. And then the other thing is the dressings and stuff they'll Mm -hmm. throw in there. Little pre-packaged, little bit of dressing. Again, made with like probably cheap, soybean oil, cheap, yeah, cheap ingredients, soybean, yeah. um, canola oil, whatever. Um, so you're paying a premium for something that you could do better and probably cheaper yourself. Yeah. So yeah, that's another thing to watch out for. And often it seems like the like E. coli outbreaks and stuff. It's always the bagged salads that are yeah. getting recalled, probably because of that. Because what's going into them is the the lowest semi rotten <laughs> kinds of vegetables and stuff. Yeah. So then those are the ones that tend to make people sick too. So yeah. you can kind of skip over that. Whatever greens you choose to eat, just try to grab them fresh and make your own salads and then make your own dressings and use a good quality olive oil, use a good quality avocado oil. Yeah. And just like we talked about in previous podcasts where it's like, you get what you pay for, mm-hmm. you know, like when you're, when you're eating something like we, we spend more money on eggs than, Uh, A lot of people would like to, but we eat so many eggs every day. It's like a third of our diet. Like for us, it's an investment in our health and we're willing to pay extra for better quality eggs or, you know, 
vegetables or whatever. Yeah. On the topic of oils though, and like using your own olive or avocado oil, there is a big problem in the food industry with adulterated oils. So like a good quality olive oil and a good quality avocado oil, those they're expensive, Mm -hmm. right? And so then what some nefarious food companies do is they cut them with cheaper oils. So, and there isn't really a lot of like regulatory stuff going on. You can sell an avocado oil blend and they don't have to disclose what the percentage of the blend is. So it can be as little as 1% avocado oil. Now there's some companies coming out with like, you know, quality stamp approval types of things where they've been lab tested to actually be olive oil to actually be avocado oil. I saw um, a consumer report study where they had just bought a bunch of avocado oils off the shelf and and sampled them using a mass spectrometer to see what they actually were. And one of them was 0% avocado oil. It was all soybean oil. (laughs) And then there was various levels. They'd obviously all been cut with um, cheaper oils. Because again, that's what they want to do is to sell you cheaper stuff at a premium price. Yeah. So you got to be, you know, careful with your um, oils that you choose and you're going to use them in small amounts to just make salad dressings and that kind of stuff anyway. So, you know, sacrifice the budget and pay for the higher quality ones. Look yep. for some of those consumer stamps of approval, a good quality olive oil. If you put it in the fridge, it should start to semi solidify and turn cloudy because there is actually a, a percentage of saturated fat in a good quality olive oil. So that's one way it should be in a dark bottle mm-hmm. so that the mono and polyunsaturated fats don't oxidize so that it stays fresh for longer you should keep it in a cool, dark place. It should never be like out in the heat or light. Um, so you never want to buy anything from a clear bottle. Right. And uh, a good quality olive oil is usually like a like a dark green. And if you took a little splash of it on your tongue, it has almost like a kind of burny feeling on the back of your tongue. It has mm-hmm. like a little bit of bite to it. Those are some signs that you have a good quality yeah. oil on, on your hands. So we have in the last few years switched over from just like a regular mayonnaise to a avocado oil mm-hmm. mayonnaise and it's funny because the one you find in the grocery store it says avocado mayonnaise on the label but then when you look at it it's like partially avocado mm-hmm. oil and then the rest of it is canola oil yeah and then when we did switch to one where is that one from costco costco chosen foods has yeah. one that it only lists avocado oil on the label yeah so if and we it, can believe it it's only up so, fingers crossed we'll send it to the lab <laughs> yeah but it's it tastes different. Yeah. So, you know, if you're used to a certain type of mayonnaise or a certain type of ketchup or whatever, and you switch to a healthier one, there's going to be a bit of a phase where you're like, oh, this isn't exactly what I was going for. And I didn't like the avocado oil or uh, mayonnaise at first. And now it's like, I don't even notice yeah. anymore. Like I'm just so used to it. Same with when we went, when we switched to sugar, uh, no sugar added ketchup, right? It's just, I know there's sugar in it, but we, we don't need to add any table sugar. And it takes a little bit of time to get used to, but eventually you don't even really care anymore. Yeah. I know a few people, I think it was Holly a little while ago, was like, I just can't do it. I can't do the <laughs> avocado oil mayo. And I was like, oh, that's fine. Like, you can actually make your own uh, mayonnaise, channel your inner Julia Childs, oh, get classic. If you have a good quality olive oil and egg yolks, it's actually not that hard to do. You can find YouTube videos on how to make your own. It's mm-hmm. kind of a fun, you just emulsify the fats together. Right. Make your own nice fresh one. It would stay in the fridge for a week or two probably before uh, you'd have to get rid of it. Yep. But good real food does go rotten. It should. <laughs> it should. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It shouldn't be that it stays shelf stable forever. Yeah. If the expiry date is 2042, it's probably, probably not, not real, real food. food. <laughs> um, okay, funny story. And aside here, since we're talking about salad dressing, <laughs> back in the day, David loves ranch dressing. I did. <laughs> the, like, 
Hidden Valley Ranch, whatever it is. Yeah. And at one point, this was years ago in our old house, I found a bottle of it like under the couch. <laughs> And I was going to throw it out. He's like, don't throw that out. I'll still eat that. I was like, ew, it's like been under the couch for God knows how long. He's like, it's just all preservatives anyway. He's yeah. like, it's fine. And it's, and like what's horrifying is it was fine. He yeah. did eat the, the couch ranch dressing and didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> it's just preserving my skeleton for future generations to find. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe you had your own like covid vaccine in I there or something so. i don't know what yeah. you were growing your own penicillin or something <laughs> and i have since switched to now we found a avocado oil ranch dressing yeah and again it took a little bit of getting used to but now it's good I like now it. it's good there's uh so chosen foods makes good lines of um salad dressings and mayo and then mark sison's brand primal kitchen mm. also makes some good ones that are made with that's their whole thing is they make yeah. them with real good quality oils yeah so either one of those brands I'm, i would recommend. i'm sure mike Marxist and would be Mike Sison would be one that you could trust for sure. Yeah, that's, that's his whole thing. Yeah, and uh, that's that was the point of why he started his own line of salad dressings was because he recognized that all the commercial ones were just full of garbage, mm -hmm. toxic oils and stuff. Okay, so sometimes they'll take a otherwise bland, boring food and they'll promote it by saying, you know, it has all these vitamins in it. Mm -hmm. But if it's just like a bland, boring food, where do those vitamins come from? Or even like, you know, a processed food like the ultimate example would be like okay if i gave you like a snickers bar and a multivitamin is that a health food <laughs> no if i take a snickers bar and i just add a bunch of synthetic vitamins into making it and you go 100 percent of your daily you know b vitamins or vitamin c or whatever yeah you're like is that a health food no right um junk so plus vitamins is junk isn't, plus, isn't good plus fake vitamins <laughs> is still junk food yeah um you don't absorb synthetic vitamins nearly as well as with regular food. They're meant to come in their whole food matrix. They come, you know, paired with the right things so that you right. absorb them properly, all that kind of stuff. Um, grains, processed grains are almost all fortified with B vitamins because if you um, don't, if you eat a lot of unfortified wheat in particular, you end up with a disease called pellagra, which is a B vitamin deficiency. And... This was happening like 100, 150 years ago. People were getting pellagra from just, you know, eating low quality foods, lots of bread. And so it was happening in, in the U.S. and it was happening in Italy. People eating too much bread and not enough nutrients. And so the Italians attacked this problem as like, hey, we need to get people access to better quality food. They need fruits and vegetables and meats and nuts and seeds and things with more nutrients in them. And so they went after um, increasing the access to whole foods, good quality foods in this in the U.S., they went, just spray it with B vitamins. So now they're just fortified with fake vitamins. And you kind of see how that decision a hundred or more years ago has kind of played out in the, in the populations of those two things. The, the Italians have fared decently well. People like to hold the Mediterranean diet in high regard because mm -hmm. they tend to just eat real food. Whereas the, you know, quality of the American diet and the, their health outcomes are just horrendous right yeah. now. They're like, things are just getting worse and worse and worse and accelerating at um, really horrifying rates. So just slapping a bandaid on it and being like, just eat fake vitamins so that they did get rid of pellagra, but they didn't really solve the overall problem, which was lack of access to nutritious food. Right. So yeah, don't, uh, don't be fooled by things claiming to like a hundred percent of your daily intake of whatever, mm -hmm. you know, just eat real food. Just eat real food. <laughs> Speaking of, it, of Italy, one of our new members that just started, I was doing his day one foundation. So we were talking about um, nutrition and um, canola oil and you know processed oils came up. And he's like, oh yeah, I already know. I already know. He's like, 
my mother's hardcore Italian and we are not allowed to have canola oil. <laughs> and she was like, yes. Olive oil, avocado. That's all we eat. I was like, yeah, good for your mom. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, mama. I love to be hear like, it. Your mom and my wife would be best friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, okay. So fun fact, my grandpa, my dad's dad was a scientist at the National Research Council of Canada and he was part of the group that developed canola oil. So it, it used to be called rapeseed oil. Not very marketing friendly or something no. called rapeseed. So they called it canola oil, Canadian oil. That's where it comes from. Um, and so his job in the lab was to feed canola oil to the rats and then he would grind them up. The he rats. Would, the rats. He would dissect them and grind them up after and look at, at the impact. And when he was doing all those lab experiments and saw the internal impact of eating these processed oils, he never allowed his family to eat margarine or canola oil. They always ate real butter. Mm. So... My grandma, she's still kicking. She's 92. She's doing pretty good. Yeah. Still lives pretty independently. Um, her major trick, at, she lives at Preston Park in her own little apartment, but like in a kind of community living setting. Her trick is uh, she can still get up out of her chair with no hands. She can stand up unassisted. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, grandma. She's pretty, you know, mentally with it as much as she ever was. Um, mm -hmm. And she's, you know, still kicking, doing pretty good. So I think he, uh, yeah, he saw firsthand the internal damage on the organs and the yep. liver and the cardiovascular system of these animals they were testing it on and went, oh, we That's are not never us. eating this shit. Yep. Yeah. So good, healthy oils. Go grandpa. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about adding vitamins to grains. Um, another big thing is the whole grains thing, mm -hmm. right? Whole grain versus white bread or whatever. And that again, on all the packaged and processed crackers and cereal and breads mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, whole grains, whole grains. Again, with nutritional epidemiology, you know, you'll find an association. People that tend to consume more whole grains tend to have better health outcomes. And you're like, okay, well, what is the causative factor there? Is it the whole grains themselves? Whenever they go to do a randomized controlled trial, what they, they find no effect, mm -hmm. really no major difference. So what you have there is called the healthy user bias and nutritional epidemiology is full of this where we've been telling people for decades that whole grains are healthier. So then people that care about their health will tend to choose whole grains. And so it's not that the whole grains themselves are that much healthier. It's that these are people that tend to care about their health. So there's some things that you can correct for in the statistics, like maybe activity levels. People that choose whole grains are also more likely to be physically active, less likely to smoke, more likely to, you know, all these different things. Um, they don't drink as much, they, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can correct for some of those things, but then there's lots of other little factors that go into just generally being a person that cares about your health. Right. Maybe you manage your stress better. Maybe you're more likely to go to a doctor earlier when you have a health concern where people that aren't as in tune with their body or don't care about their health will, will push those things to the sidelines for longer. Right. right? So you're maybe more likely to catch a cancer earlier or catch a problem earlier. They're more likely to take their medicine. They're more like, you know, all these things that go into generally being a healthier person. Yeah. The difference between a whole grain and a refined grain is like filtered cigarettes versus regular cigarettes. It's like, like maybe it's marginally slightly less bad for you, but like, why are we even arguing about that? Like, just yeah. you don't need to eat them at all. Um, and we learned that from the glucose group that I did with people in March, like 30 people wearing continuous glucose monitors. Week two, we tested seven different types of carbohydrates, um, 50 gram portions of carbohydrates from different foods. And so one of them was white rice. One of them was like whole grain sprouted oats, these different types of things. And the, the blood glucose impact was like marginally different right. between all of them. It didn't really make much of a difference whether it was a whole grain or a refined grain. Yeah. Um, so, so blood blood sugar aside, um, if you are going to have grains, you said in the past that you're better off having a sourdough, like a pre-fermented one or a sprouted grain. 
Is that right? Yeah. So that's not going to affect the, like the blood glucose of it very yeah. much. Sourdough bread was also one of the things we tested, but the fermentation process starts to, so the little, the bacteria and the enzymes it produce starts to break down and help you digest mm-hmm. some of the, the grains. So people that have a hard time, you know, from a digestive perspective, maybe IBS, maybe some like upset from um, grains, it, it's sort of pre-digested so it can help you break down those things in your guts better. And then same thing with sprouted grains, the enzymes involved in the sprouting process also start to break down some of the more difficult plant um Basically, like plants come with their own chemical defense systems. They don't really want to get eaten. Right. So to make them edible, it's all processes of like detoxifying the like plant natural pesticides and herbicides that they have in them. So um, eating a whole grain, like whole wheat, has, there is some extra vitamins in the bran, but there's also some anti-nutrients. So a thing called phytic acid. Phytic acid will bind to your minerals, zinc, magnesium, it will pull them through your digestive system. So you'll actually absorb less of the nutrients in the other foods you had paired with that whole grain bread than if you didn't eat it at all. So as much as people are like, Oh, brown rice is better. Whole grains are better. If when I do choose to incorporate little bits of starch, I actually eat white rice, right? Small amounts, use it like a, a garnish rather than the centerpiece of the dish. Cause I don't want it to take away the nutrients that I am getting from the meat and the eggs and all the other things. I, if I just purely want a little bit of starch for like refueling after a workout or something like that. Right. I actually try to avoid the anti-nutrients. Yeah. And generally the way we eat, like if we're going to have a sandwich or something like that's a treat for us, you know, mm-hmm. it's not something we do very often. And so for me, I'm going to have the version of that that I enjoy the most. Yeah. Right. So I would way rather have sourdough over like a whole grain or whatever. Mm-hmm. I love sourdough bread. Yeah, that's yeah, great. It's tasty super delicious yeah a little easier on the digestive system but not much better from like the blood glucose or metabolic perspective right i guess we want to think of it that way okay so the last thing we're going to talk about is super sneaky as well um and that is portion sizes (laughs) yeah because it is hilarious to look at packages of food and see what they consider a portion Mm -hmm. the the real eye opener for me was when i first looked at a box of craft dinner back to craft dinner (laughs) (laughs) and it says, you know, one box is four servings, <laughs> which is hilarious because we all know that there are certain foods that the package is the portion. <laughs> You've got a box of macaroni is a portion, <laughs> a little thing of haagen that is one portion, <laughs> a large pizza, that is one portion. <laughs> There's no, this, this doesn't, it, this on the website, it'll, serving size. It, it it on the website it'll be like, what, this large pizza serves six to eight people. It's like, how small are these people? Like I can eat a whole large pizza and, and you're gonna, and I'm gonna, yeah. So portion sizes are always tricky. Yeah. And I find that with the keto stuff too. Yeah. Um, there's one at Costco that's like a chocolate covered little nuts and seeds, kind of little clumpy thing. It mm-hmm. is delicious. And the front of the bag says like keto and it says like five, five grams of carbs or something per serving. Yeah. And then you look at the back and the serving is 20 grams. So it's like a tiny little amount. Yeah. And then there's five grams of carbohydrate per serving. You're like, this thing is 25% sugar, right. <laughs> you know, you're like, and it's a big Costco size bag. You're like, as if you're going to like limit yourself to this little 20 yeah. gram portion, you're going to have a tiny bite and be like, well, now I'm going to eat the whole bag. Yeah. One of the, one of my favorite ways to think about those things. I think I got this from Bonnie at one point where she was like, I never look at the, what's in the serving size. I, I do the math on what's in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, okay, well this whole Costco size bag of chocolatey nuts is like 150 grams of sugar. I'm 
pretty certain if I bring it into my house, I'm going to eat that whole bag like in a week or less, it's going to be gone. Yeah. So I'm like, do I need to invite 150 grams of sugar into my life in the next week? Like, nah, <laughs> you know, I know myself well enough to know if it's in the house, I'm going to eat it. Yeah. And if it's that tasty, I'm going to eat a lot of it. I'm going to eat way more than one portion. So then it's not keto. If mm-hmm. you eat the whole bag, <laughs> we got some, they were called keto crackers from, uh, Costco recently. And they were like, the ingredients were fine. It yeah. wasn't like weird keto stuff. It was actual it like real food, ingredients. Stuff, yeah. yeah. But when I was looking at the bag, like it says five grams per serving and then a serving is five crackers. So each yeah. of these little crackers was a gram of carbohydrates. Yeah. And I could easily eat like 30 of these crackers. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard to limit yourself to just their, you know, five cracker serving. And if you can do it, great. You know, yeah. like if you're trying to balance out your, your numbers and stuff, then, and you can be diligent. Great. But for me, it's like, if I have some, I want to have enough. Yeah. So it's really, I would rather just not have it at all than try to limit myself to a certain amount. Yeah. Those ones I find I can, um, take five out of the bag and scoop up like good guacamole or something with them. And that's good. Cause they're not super delicious and they're yeah. not super sweet. They're not like, Oh my God, like chocolatey things where I just want to like keep eating them or candy mm-hmm. things or whatever. So some of those that aren't as sweet, I find easier. Yeah. And they're made from like coconut and some seeds and stuff. And so they're, um, Real food things tend to hit satiety faster Yeah, when they're not sweetened. Like we were talking about with real sugar or fake sugar or things that just trigger your appetite and make you want to eat and eat and eat. Yeah. I'm just, I'm much more of a like, I'd rather just have none than have not enough, you know? Mm-hmm. I just feel like if I have just a little bit, I'm just craving it for the rest of the day. Like, oh, I could really go for more of that chocolate, keto, granola stuff, whatever. Yeah. I would just rather not have it at all. And then when I do want to eat something like that, I'll just like... Eat the have real enough. Thing. I'll, I'll eat a whole pizza or whatever, you know, like just fatter day. Yeah, fatter day. <laughs> yeah. Um, at some day, at some point, we'll do a whole episode on like cheat day damage control. Like yeah. when you are going to do that stuff, how do you like mitigate the damage so it's not the worst? Yeah. Ever? We often talk about um, all these little things we find at Costco or whatever. So, fun story about Zoss. Whenever we go to a different city or whatever, we always go to a grocery store to get stuff. And she insists on walking up and down all the aisles to check out to see what kind of like weird, you know, keto stuff or Just healthy stuff or whatever she could find. Love it. She's like a little window shopper in every grocery store. And so weird we, grocery run, store. <laughs> we run in for like five ingredients and we spend 45 minutes walking through the aisles. Like, being, don't she, rush me. <laughs> Just pick a box, be like, mm, check this one out. And like, are you going to buy that? No, I just want to see what's in it. Like, <laughs> I just like to look at things. Yeah. I was in Toronto recently and the hotel we were staying in was right next door to the old uh, Maple Leaf Gardens, like right downtown, which has now been turned into a grocery store and it's super cool inside. And they've like, even just the, not just the food that they have, but the layout of the grocery store, they still have the area in the center where they used to drop the puck and you walk in, it's got like big high ceilings, multi-level, and they've turned the old chairs from um, the stadium seating into like the shape. It's like a big art installation in the shape of a big blue maple leaf. Like that one was one where I was like, I could spend like a couple hours just like <laughs> looking around in this grocery store. I loved it. It's like a very cool spot now. The I think bag it's a boy l- will cross check you. You get the full hockey experience. Yeah, maybe make it authentic. <laughs> okay, so to recap, here's the things, the red flags you watch out for. Added fiber, where yeah. it's just fiber added to processed foods. Organic junk food. Not the, worth it. Yeah, the, don't pay extra for organic junk food. It's still just junk food. Keto processed foods, particularly the like fake bread product stuff. Yeah. Um, it's probably just gluten and vegetable oil. Um, things labeled as high protein. Check the ingredients. Make sure it's not you know soy protein, pea protein, or more gluten added to it. 
um, things that are labeled as sugar-free or no sugar added, double check that it's not just, um, you know, already a very naturally sugary food, like a juice or even like, um, Lara bars. Yeah. They're made with dates, which yeah. are, and then concentrated kind of like a dried date. So they're just naturally very sugary. And then watch out for the artificial sweeteners like aspartame. Don't even bother. Don't fall for it with the fake meat bullshit human pet food stuff they're trying to push on everybody don't do it um you can completely ignore the american heart association heart healthy stamp of approval that's just bought and paid for um vegetarian or grain-fed chickens or eggs they're not meant to be vegetarian um the produce like you said the bagged salads are actually the lowest quality so probably just put the time in to buy the real stuff and make your own um, watch out for the adulterated oils. Look for good quality ones. Probably got to pony up and spend the money on the good ones. Um, added vitamins, synthetic vitamins added to junk food. Again, just because you spray it with fake vitamins doesn't turn it into a health food. Whole grains versus refined grains, probably not much different. Mm -hmm. um, and then be suspicious of portion sizes <laughs> and do the math. Take the bunny approach and do the math on what yep. is the whole thing and be real with yourself that if it's coming in your house, you're going to eat the whole thing at some yep. point. Probably not portion by portion, multiple <laughs> portions at a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, make friends with a farmer. Go to the farmer's market, yep. get your produce from nearby, make friends with a farmer, get your chicken and your, maybe you're a hunter, maybe you know a hunter and you can get real good wild stuff, mm -hmm. uh, good quality things. That's the best. Yep. All right. Real food. Real food. Eat real food. Awesome. Thanks guys. See you next time.